The underworld, like so many other ideas in Chinese mythology, is a complex combination of Taoist, Buddhist, and conventional folklore. Diu is a massive network of dimly lit apartments, passageways, and courts. On the other side of the astral realm is a huge mountain that serves as the entryway. You can also enter secretly through the abandoned city of Fengdu. All legends concur that it is a gloomy evil location resembling a prison complex with lots of torture equipment. I don't want to alarm you, but hell is a non-negotiable invitation extended to anyone. Welcome to Destination Terror, your passport to the scariest places in the world. From haunted hotels to locations of unexplained creature sightings, we will travel to places that will provide excitement, adventure, and horror. Today we are discussing the Haupar Villa in Singapore, a theme park with a hellish theme. So if you are into travel and all things scary, listen close and you might just discover your next exciting adventure destination, but hopefully not your final destination. Destination Terror is an EerieCast original podcast hosted by me, Carmen Carrion. If you would like to send us a suggestion or submit a story with your own experience, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. If you enjoy the show, please follow and rate Destination Terror on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to help us grow. Also, check out EerieCast.com for more scary podcasts such as Tales from the Break Room, featuring allegedly true and terrifying stories that happened on the job. Trigger warning, this episode contains violence and gore. Water dripping from the ceiling splattered onto Tao's cheek. It had been raining all night, and the weathered roof of his one-room flat was threatening to collapse. He had complained to the landlord on many occasions, but no action had been taken. This was a very common event in Tao's life. No one listened to him or respected him. He had no real friends, only those people who called when they needed something, but never called to say hi or just check in on him. He had spent his entire life being used, kicked around, and ran over. Tao cursed as he got out of bed and threw on his shirt. He was going to make that drunk good-for-nothing landlord fix his roof once and for all. He may not have much, but what he had, he worked hard for, and this little flat in Chinatown was his home, and it sheltered the few possessions that he had. It was a short walk to his landlord's place, just above a shop in the fish market. When he got to the door, he banged on it as hard as he could to prove just how angry he was. He could hear his landlord stumbling and cursing his way to the door. Ji Yu was not much older than Tao, probably barely in his 40s if he had to guess, but years of drinking heavily had taken their toll on his body. When he swung the door open, it crashed against the wall and was followed by a colorful slew of curse words. The smell of rotting garbage coming from inside the apartment was not even strong enough to hide the smell of liquor on Ji Yu's breath. Tao waited for the man to calm and then apologized for disturbing him before making his complaint. He explained that he had told him many times about the leaky roof, and that now it was so bad that if he didn't fix it immediately, he would have to file an official complaint with the authorities. Ji Yu's reaction was not what Tao had hoped for, 
He tried to slam the door in his face. Tao, without thinking, put his hand up to stop him, and his hand was smashed so hard that for a moment he thought it might be broken. Something in Tao snapped at that moment. He had always been a calm person, taking insult and injury with much grace. But like a reservoir that was holding back too much water, his anger burst forth, wild and out of control. He used his shoulder as a battering ram and smashed the door, splintering the frame and busting it off its hinges. He fell to the floor as the door gave way to the force of his rage. Ji Yu was backing into his stinking kitchen, still cursing as Tao got to his feet. Tao stepped towards him and Ji Yu grabbed an almost empty bottle of Biju from the counter and flung it at his head. The bottle burst on the wall next to Tao's head, sending shards of glass flying across his face. He tried to duck, but it was too late. Tiny cuts began to trickle blood across his cheek and forehead. Ji Yu realized his mistake when he looked into Tao's eyes. He tried to back out of his reach, but slipped and fell to the floor. Tao wiped a trickle of blood running from his eyebrow before it could reach his eye, smudging it across his face. He then looked at his hand and let out a growl that sounded animalistic, and then dove on top of Ji Yu, wrapping his hands tightly around his neck. Ji Yu prod at Tao's hands, but it was no use, so he began to scratch, claw, and kick every part of him that he could reach. Tao's reaction was further rage, and he began to shake Ji Yu, banging his head repeatedly on the hard floor. Ji Yu fought with all he had, but his bloodshot eyes became even more red as the blood vessels began to burst, and soon he began to weaken until finally he went completely limp. Tao continued to shake Ji Yu's lifeless body until the back of the man's head cracked like an egg, finally snapping Tao back to his senses. He fell back and stared into Ji Yu's dead eyes in shock at what he had just done. A whimper escaped him as shame and remorse began to overwhelm him. Quickly followed by that was panic. Scrambling to his feet, he made a dash for the door when he caught his reflection in a mirror hanging on the wall. He did not recognize the man staring back at him. This man was a monster. Tal ran from the building, out into the pouring rain where the blood began to wash from his face. He continued to run for how long he did not know, eventually collapsing in exhaustion on a bench at a bus stop. He buried his face in his hands and began to cry. In one brief moment, he had lost control, and the result would cost him his life. He raised his head when he heard the squeaking of brakes. He looked up and saw the bus had stopped in front of him. He then knew what he must do, he must get as far away from here as possible. He boarded the bus, but only had enough money to purchase fare for 10 miles. He would go as far as he could, then figure out the rest when he got there. He stared out the window as the bus drove down West Coast Highway, trying to figure out how the gentle man he was known to be had suddenly turned into a monster. He was fleeing because of what he had done, but he could not flee from himself. He deserved whatever punishment he had coming to him. He imagined it, being arrested, tried, and sentenced, 
and realized he would be better off if he took his own life. The bus came to his stop at Halpar Villa Station, which he suddenly found very funny. His mother had brought him here as a child to visit the Hell Museum as a lesson on what happened to the souls of sinners. One way or another, he was going to hell. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters? Murder? Mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Grand Canyon University makes earning your degree possible with over 130 academic programs for traditional campus students with more than 80 bachelor's programs offered online. GCU provides you with the personal support you need from complimentary unofficial transcript evaluations within 24 business hours to scholarships, academic support, and your GCU graduation team led by your own university counselor. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Chinese history, which spans centuries and is one of the oldest societies still in existence today, is rich with fascinating tales. Haopar Villa, an Asian cultural park that is a treasury of folklore and fabled mythology, is a must-see for history fans who want to explore the depth of Chinese culture and religious beliefs. Haopar Villa, which is situated on a hill in Pasir Panjang in Singapore, had once been known as Tiger Balm Gardens. The park was lovingly constructed by businessman Abun Hao, a native of Myanmar, for his brother, Abun Par. It was named after the Tiger Bomb medical salve which their father had invented. When the two brothers were just children, their family was very poor. They were not able to play in the parks then because the parks were only for white colony masters. When they built the villa, they wanted it to be for everyone, regardless of race or wealth. The villa's gardens were made available to the public once it was completed in 1937, a reflection of Boon Hao's intense love of Chinese mythology and culture. Boon Hao personally oversaw the craftspeople who produced many of the park's original fixtures, in the hopes that the public would receive moral guidance from the park's portrayal of traditional virtues. The Ah family left Singapore for Yangon when war broke out, then known as Rangoon. The park served as a Japanese Army observation station, and it wasn't until after the war that Ah Boon Hao returned to Singapore and started to repair the park. Many Ah family members worked on the park's construction from the 1940s to the 1970s. 
Ah Ching Shi, Boonpar's son, added a number of modifications to the displays in the park. His love of exploring the world inspired the creation of the park's international corners, which honored the diverse cultures he encountered while traveling. The space began to take its modern form in 1985 when the Singapore Tourism Board took over management of the grounds and began revitalization work on the space. The park's dynamic evolution continues to this current day. Ah and his brother Ah Boon Pars aim to impart Chinese ideals through the recounting of well-known Chinese fables is also mentioned in the official brochures of today. This is a goal that the park continues to successfully do with its numerous statues and intricate exhibits, many of which are based on Chinese morality legends. Morality is a key theme in Haupar Villa, and it is while promoting this virtue that the statues and dioramas get a tad disturbing. Many dioramas display violence and gore in order to effectively convey their point. Some could even be described as ghastly. Objectively speaking, though, this approach could be described as harsh but precise. To shock is to educate, as some would say. Thankfully, many of the other exhibits in this macabre theme park are less horrifying. Many also include Taoist gods and Buddhas. Naturally, Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, and the most well-known figure in Chinese mythology, also makes an appearance with his formidable cudgel. The star attraction of Halpar Villa, the Hell's Museum, is today the only paid segment of Halpar Villa. It is a gruesome experience for any who dare to enter. The Hell's Museum is dominated by a long man-made tunnel, where evildoers are shown suffering in different horrifying ways, following divine judgment by the Chinese Ten Kings of Hell. This exhibit is far gorier and more unsettling than any of the morality dioramas. Dismemberment, beating, grinding, and even being boiled in oil are examples of punishments. Creepy lighting gives the entire cavern an unearthly atmosphere, while dramatic depictions of the pain and agony of the condemned are present in every exhibit. As you enter the tunnel, you are greeted by the first court's king. This is the description of each court and excerpts taken from inside the cave. This is what hell looks like. Each court has a king in charge where the sinners get tried, and the punishments are meted out. The ten kings in charge of the ten courts of hell were first named in the scripture on the ten kings, which dates to the 8th or 9th century CE. Each court takes place at different times after death, with the final court taking place three years after death. In the first court, or gate of hell, three days after death, King Chengguang conducts preliminary trials, and each prisoner is judged according to his deeds in his past life. The good is distinguished from the evil, and the king recommends appropriate reward or punishment. Punishment is then carried out in the various courts. Those with virtuous conduct in their past life will be led over the Golden Bridge to reach paradise, or presumably reincarnation. Those whose past good deeds outweigh crimes committed will be sent to the Silver Bridge to reach paradise. Those who were evildoers in their past life will be sent to repent before the mirror of retribution and then taken to a subsequent court of hell to be punished. In the second court of hell, sinners are tried at the earth prisons, Diu, where they are punished. After sinners cross this river, there is no turning back. If you cause hurt, cheat, or rob others, you will be thrown into a volcanic pit. If you are corrupted, steal, or gamble, 
you will be thrown onto blocks of ice. If you work in sexual trade, you will be thrown into a pool of blood. In the third court of hell, if your sins are being ungrateful, having a lack of respect towards elders, or escaping from prison, you will have your chest sliced open and your heart taken out. If you have a drug addiction, or are involved with trafficking, robbing tombs, or instigating others to commit crimes or social unrest, you will be tied to a red-hot copper pillar and be grilled alive. In the fourth court of hell, five offices of the netherworld supervise infractions of five lay Buddhist precepts, the taking of life, theft, fornication, lying, and drunkenness. Tax evasion, avoiding paying rent, or fraud will be pounded by a stone mallet. In the fifth court of hell, plotting the death of someone to steal his property or money, or charging exorbitant interest rates as a moneylender, will get you thrown onto a hill of knives. In the sixth court of hell, cheating, using curse words, or kidnapping will be thrown onto a tree of knives. Misusing books, possessing pornography, breaking rules and regulations, or wasting food will have one's body sawn in half. In the seventh court of hell, spreading rumors or sowing discord among family members will have one's tongue pulled out. Rape or driving someone to his or her death will be thrown into a walk of boiling oil. In the eighth court of hell, lack of filial piety, causing trouble for parents or other family members, or cheating during examination, will have one's intestines and organs pulled out. Harming others to benefit oneself will result in dismemberment. In the ninth court of hell, robbery, murder, rape, or any other unlawful conduct will have one's head and arms chopped off. Neglecting the old and young will be crushed under boulders. And last of all, in the tenth court of souls, will be hauled before King Zwanlin to receive a final judgment to decide what forms they will take upon rebirth. This will depend on their karma, the good and bad deeds committed in life. Once you have finished visiting this attraction, hell and the consequences it dishes out will be hard to forget. Ghost stories circulating around the internet about Haupar Villa is very common. If you search for Singapore ghost stories, more than likely you will find Haupar Villa on many lists. It is even listed as one of the most haunted places in Singapore. Rumor has it that when the park was first built by the brothers Aboon Hao and Aboon Par, a witch doctor used to sneak into the park late at night to communicate with the paranormal world. The witch doctor conducted his rituals and prayers at the park because it was peaceful and removed from the city's bustle. He was well known for being strong and extremely magical, which led to his growing popularity among his clientele, who frequently asked for love potions or the winning number for the next 4D or Toto Draw. In order to grant these people's wishes, the witch doctor had to request for aid from spirits and ghouls which some believe have remained in the park even after he was done making use of them. As they had nowhere else to go, the ghosts began to inhabit the statues and numerous amusements that were dispersed throughout the park, particularly the Ten Courts of Hell attraction, which in great detail shows the torment and suffering one is made to endure after living a sinful life. It's possible that the ghosts were drawn to it because of the parallels it had to the location where they actually belonged. The scarier-looking possessed sculptures and displays were removed in an effort to revitalize the park and to protect the visitors as the park came under the control of the Singapore government 
and had financial difficulties as a result of a decline in visitors. Evidently, though, it did not work out and Halpar Villa was ultimately obliged to charge tourists no admission. A few decades later, security guards were employed to look after the property and deter thrill-seeking youths from trespassing. The cries and wails coming from the park, especially from the Ten Courts of Hell attraction, and the landfill where the possessed exhibits were dumped frequently infuriated the guards. The security guards frequently used a portion of their income to buy offerings for the spirits in order to placate them, but nothing seemed to quiet the screaming. The Halpar Villa, though intended to teach morality through fear, may be a little too scary for some. Visitors with young children may want to see the exhibits before allowing them to approach them because some of the horrifying scenes are undoubtedly the stuff of nightmares. If you think Halpar Villa would be scary to visit during the day, imagine visiting the Macabre Park at night. The Halpar Villa management has been experimenting with night visits since 2019. Beginning in early 2022, the park will always be available for evening visitation. There are also ghost tours some weekends. While many monuments and dioramas are not lit at night, footpaths are well lit. If you want to visit in the evening, I would suggest going in the period right before sunset for the best experience. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Tao stood across the street from the entrance to the theme park that had terrified him so severely as a child that it had strongly influenced the kind of man he had become. He wondered now if this was the beginning of the god's torment for the horrible act he had just committed. If it was, then he would follow it through and receive respectfully the punishment they had in store for him. Maybe they would show him mercy. Stepping off the curb to cross the street, Tao, wrapped in his thoughts, did not see the car coming right at him. It slammed into his body with such force that it folded him in half before pulling him beneath its wheels. When Tao's body came to a rest, he was staring up at the sky. He was afraid to move at first, for fear of the pain that his crushed body would be in. Slowly, he began to run his hands over his abdomen and then up his neck and face. He felt no injuries, and strangely... He felt no pain. As he sat up, he heard screaming. Someone was calling for help. He turned to look, and what he saw stunned him. There, laying behind the car that had struck him, was a mangled body that looked identical to him. He stood and walked closer to get a better look. People were gathering around the body. A young lady was crying and repeating that she was sorry she didn't mean to kill him. Tao felt bad for her, so he reached out to reassure her that it was a mistake. He was not dead. He was standing right here, but she could not hear him. Suddenly, realizing with poignant clarity the reality of his situation, Tao looked around. He knew what must come next. He didn't know what else to do, so he walked towards the entrance 
of Halpar Villa. As he walked beneath the arch and through the entrance, the skies began to darken, causing him to pause. The world around him began to shift and change. Slowly, the trees, structures, and everything around him were replaced by jagged rocks. He found himself standing in a dry, cracked valley with smoking crags. In the distance where the rock mounds divided, he could see what looked like a palace. He didn't know whether to turn and run back the way he came or to head towards the palace. The decision was soon to be made for him. Tal jumped when he felt a large hand embrace his right shoulder. As he was turning to see who had a hold of him, another grabbed onto his left arm. The blood in his veins began to feel like ice as fear gripped him. To his right was a large, muscled beast with the body of a man, but with the head of an ox. He looked away from its menacing eyes in panic and straight into the glare of the other creature, who also had the body of a man, but the head of a horse. Though its face was equally as strange as the other, Tao didn't look away this time. He held its gaze as it told him that they were there to escort him to King Chingwan for judgment. Tao knew that it was no use to fight. He knew that he was dead. He was in Diu, and it was his time to pay for the evil he had done. He ducked his head in shame and obediently walked with the man-beast towards the palace in the distance. As they walked the path, he could hear screams of anguish and suffering coming from somewhere in the distance. Again, fear began to consume him, knowing that soon his screams may join theirs. They crossed a bridge and beneath it ran what looked like a river of boiling lava. Tao felt nauseous when he caught a glimpse of body struggling to climb out of the bubbling liquid heat as their skin melted away. He looked away as they entered the palace through an archway made of bones. Inside, it was at first dark, but then gradually his eyes adjusted and he could see a large throne, and sitting on it was a man in a king's robe. The ox head and the horse face thrust him forward at once, and he landed at the man's feet. The king of hell ordered him to stand. He told him in a loud, booming voice that all men must stand during judgment. He then pointed to the side of the dark room and said, This was your life, and these are the deeds that you will be judged for. Tao watched as the floor opened up, and a mirror larger than any he had ever seen rose up out of it. In life, it might have made him laugh, for its resemblance to the extravagant hidden TVs that were found in the homes of the rich. But there was no laughter here. He watched as the mirror of retribution began to play scenes from his life. He saw when he was a child being bullied by children in his neighborhood. He watched as he again and again took punishment and hurt from the people throughout his life. His life had been full of goodness and kindness to others, even though he suffered. He sobbed when he watched the replay of the day he sat by his dying mother while his heart was breaking. Finally, after what felt like an eternity, the final scene of his life replayed. And he watched as a spectator as he flew into a rage and brutally murdered Ji Young. The screen went dark, and the king began to speak. He told Tao that though he had been a righteous man on his way to the golden bridge that led to paradise, 
This one deed changed his course. The king gave him his verdict. He had taken the life of another human, and for that, he must be punished. Tao began to sob from shame and from fear of what was to come. The king spoke over him as he ordered the ox head and the horse face to take him to the ninth court. Tao had no strength to stand, so the two beasts drug him from the throne room down a long, dark hallway lit only by burning torches. There were doors all along the way, with horrifying sounds coming from the other sides. At the end of the hallway, there were two doors. One had a bright light showing around the edges. The other had blood running from beneath and smeared all over the handle. This is the door that they opened and drug Tao through. He began to panic as he saw various wooden tables throughout the large room, each with someone strapped to it. Each person was in various stages of mutilation. Some had arms missing, others had legs missing, but they were all in the process of being cut apart by their own individual tormentors. Dragging Tao to an empty table, they roughly threw him onto it and strapped him down where he could not move. Tao, now overwhelmed by panic, fought his restraints. He watched in terror as a man in a butcher's apron with a bone saw in his hands stepped forward and looked down at him. He thought he saw a glimpse of pity in the man's eyes, but it passed as he set about his task. He placed the saw across Tao's wrist and began to cut. Tao began to scream hysterically. Back and forth, the teeth of the saw went as they chewed into his flesh until they reached bone. The bone was no match for the saw, as it cracked and crumbled beneath it until it gave way, and the hand tore away from its arm. The tormentor then moved the saw up to Tao's shoulder and began to work there. Tao felt every second of the pain, every ounce of the misery, as the saw took off each of his limbs in segments. When the tormentor was finished, and Tao lay in nearly a dozen pieces. He took a seat and watched as Tao's body slowly mended. The flesh of his arm crawled towards his body where it mended and became whole again. His hand slid towards his arm and did the same. This continued until Tao was completely whole again, and then the tormentor rose and started the process all over. Tao lost all sense of time, he lay there as hours turned into days, and days turned into weeks, until eventually, the tormentor, instead of taking a seat, left the room. When he returned, he was accompanied by a woman in an elegant golden robe, embroidered with a red thread. The tormentor released Tao from his restraints. Climbing from the table, his legs were shaky but he could not help to imagine what hell was next and how could it be worse than this. The woman beckoned him to follow, and Tal had no choice for there was no place to run. He followed her out the door and to the door directly across the hallway, the one with the glowing light. Inside of the room was brilliant and stunningly decorated like the imperial throne rooms of old. At the far end of the room sat another throne that looked to be made of gold, and on it sat another king. 
This king smiled as he looked down at Tao and introduced himself as King Lunhui. This name was familiar to him and brought with it a sense of excitement. Tao fell to his knees as he awaited King Lunhui's judgment. The king spoke in a strong but smooth voice as he told Tao to stand and receive his verdict. Tao did as he was ordered and looked the king in the eye. You are redeemed, my child. You have paid for your sin, and now you shall be given a new life. Tao was afraid he had heard him wrong and was staring, dumbfounded, as the woman approached him with a glass and ordered him to drink. He took the glass from her and took a sip, instantly realizing how thirsty he was. He began to gulp it down. He could not describe the taste. It was a pleasure like he had never felt before. The liquid warmed his belly and the warmth spread throughout his body. Slowly, reality began to feel like a dream until everything faded and Tao fell into a deep sleep. In a delivery room in Singapore General Hospital, a baby is born. He is wrapped in a blanket before he is handed to his mother, who is glowing with happiness. She looks down into the twinkling eyes of her child with unconditional love. I will name him Tao, she says, for it means long life. Thank you for joining us to explore Halpar Villa and the Ten Courts of Hell. Tune in next week as we discuss another terrific location. I'm Carmen Carrion. Remember, you can send me suggestions or stories of haunted places to my email, carmencarrion at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at Carmen Carrion. Be sure to check out eeriecast.com for more terrifying podcasts. Until next time, stay safe out there until I see you at our next destination.